0: Let me begin by saying a big thank you to Pastor Shirley for filling in for me last Sunday. Um, it was last minute, I called her, I think it was on Saturday, um, Laura's dad on uh, Saturday evening, um, most of you know that uh, the week before we had found out that he had a Uh, brain tumor, glioblastoma, which is the same that um, Dr. Steve Pearson, that attended our church, had. and uh, We weren't given a great prognosis. Uh, He went into surgery. They removed the tumor. Things went well. Um, Saturday, Laura went to visit with him, and while she was sitting there, she'd been there maybe 15 minutes, and they were talking, and he started to complain, saying his head was hurting pretty bad. And uh he's not the type of person that would take pain medicine and he was getting ready to call for pain medicine and as as this was taking place he just became unconscious. And Laura, um Laura was right there with him and, and she knew what was happening and they was able to tell him, you know, that she loved him and um but at that moment what had happened was blood was getting on the brain and uh there was nothing they could do and basically Um, They wanted to see how he did through the night, uh, but they said basically he was brain dead. And so Sunday morning, last Sunday, uh, I believe it was at 11, uh, 11.36 um, is when he officially passed away. So I had called Shirley that Saturday night and said, Shirley, I need you again, (laughs) Um, and she Willingly stepped up. Same with Glenn on Wednesday. I had Thomas contact Glenn, and Glenn just stepped right in. And uh, to be able to have that in the church is a blessing. Um, and I am thankful that we have that. So thank you all for for being willing. And I heard that um, Pastor Shirley did a fantastic job. And that um, Shirley, now you know you're not after my job. I hope, right? <laughs> uh. Well, I want to talk to you, uh, let, me, let, me, let me remind you of what I spoke about two weeks ago, and that was just the unordinary faithfulness of God. And church, please hear me in this, that God is faithful. If there's anything that we have observed in our family over the past three years, it is the fact that God is faithful. Um, I mean, even, even when your loved one um, passes away, and many of you have been in situations like this, and you almost feel numb to the situation, you know? Uh, and you're just like, man, what is going on? I don't understand why I'm feeling numb. and don't have many feelings. I think that that is, when, when Scripture says that the peace of God surpasses all understanding... I think that's what it's referring to, the fact that God's grace comes over you so much that you can't even understand how you're able to operate um, in a good manner. And it's only because of the grace of God. And I have seen the faithfulness of God in that over these past three years. And that's what I shared with you two weeks ago. And and I would continue to say to you that even during this week, that God has been faithful. He is a faithful God. Does that mean that we don't have questions? No. I mean, certainly you always have questions, but even in the midst of the questions, you know that God is faithful and he understands what you're going through and why you're feeling the way that you feel. So with that being said, I want to share with you today about the unordinary forgiveness of God. Okay, Uh, so I shared with you on the Wednesday, so it would have been a week and a half ago, when we found out that um, my father-in-law had a brain tumor. It was on a Wednesday night. I was sharing with you that um, I really needed to go in and and share the gospel with James and and, um, let him know that God loves him and had that opportunity to, to share the gospel with him and and one of the main things that Laura and I both wanted him to know was that God would forgive him and that God does forgive him if he just puts his trust in in the Lord. And we have that peace that he did that. And, I mean, we just had some uh, amazing time there together. And then even, I mean, he and I spoke one-on-one. And then afterwards, um, the chaplain came in and also had a conversation with him and... Uh, you know, it's like I shared at his funeral that it doesn't matter when you come to the Lord; that God offers His forgiveness to us at all points of our life, and we just need to reach out and accept that. And so, sure enough, that's that's what He did, and, and we experienced that. And so, I am amazed at the forgiveness of God as well. It is just so when when we talk about the unordinary life of Christ, which we've been examining. Um, and you can't help but think about um, how Christ uh, forgives in a way that's hard for us to even imagine and understand. That Christ can forgive and forget. And I, I want to really kind of dive into that um, this morning. But before I do, I want to share with you a true story that happened during World War II. Um, and this was this was in a, in a book by Ernest Gordon and. Uh, it's about some Scottish soldiers that were taken prisoner, again, during World War II by the Japanese. And the Japanese, if, if you have studied World War II history, you know they were brutal. I mean, the Germans were brutal the, to their POWs. Uh, Brenda Moon can tell you stories about what her dad went through with that. Um, the Japanese were brutal with, why, uh, with, with their POWs. And these particular individuals... Um, were required to help build a railroad through the jungle. Some of you know this story, okay? They had to build railroad through, um, through the jungle. And so they were given certain tools to help them to accomplish this task. And so these particular Scottish soldiers were out in the jungle, and, and they had just finished up for the day, and they were coming back in, and they had certain points where they had to do a, what was called a tool check. And so, basically, what that meant was, is if you had a shovel or another type of tool, when you get to this check, they would count all the shovels and all the different tools to make sure that none of them were missing. Because they figured the Japanese figured that if you were you, if you had stolen one of the tools, you could use that to try to escape out of the out of the POW camp. So they're coming through the jungle. They're walking. They come to their first a uh, place where they have to do a tool count. And lo and behold, there is a shovel missing. Okay? And the particular uh, person over uh, the Japanese army out there was irate. And he was fussing, wanting to know where the shovel was from. And he pulled out a gun and he said, If you don't tell me where the shovel's at, I'm going to shoot every one of you until you tell me. Okay? And so nobody stepped up, and he was getting ready to go up and shoot one of the prisoners, and suddenly a man stepped forward and said, it was me, I hid the shovel, okay? Well, the man, the Japanese soldier, took another shovel and just beat the man to death, okay? And then they went on down the line, and they came to their second tool check, and when they got there, they realized that all the tools were there, that the Japanese had made a mistake on the count the previous time. That they originally had all the tools then. But because of that mistake, and because the Japanese soldier was going to kill all the men, one man stepped up and sacrificed his life on behalf of all the others so the others could live. Now, you hear stories like that, and what does it remind you of? Of Christ, right? I mean, it reminds you of Christ, the innocent one, the one with no sin, stepping up and being sacrificed on our behalf, on our behalf. And so what amazes me about this World War II story is what happened afterwards. Suddenly, all these Scottish soldiers started thinking, man, this guy died so that I wouldn't have to die. This man stepped up. He was innocent, yet he stepped up and it began to transform those men to where they no longer hated the Japanese. They began to want to forgive them. And whenever the allies came in to liberate their camp, it is said that they lined up all of the POWs. So all these Scottish soldiers were standing there. They said that they looked just like human skeletons standing there and they said they did not want to retaliate upon their japanese captors because of what had happened with that one man giving his life instead they wanted to forgive that is the power of forgiveness it will transform individuals and situations and that's what christ has done for us but it's also what christ calls us to that many of the situations and problems we're in continue to exist because many of us are not willing to step up and do that unordinary forgiveness that God has called us to. And so I want to talk to you, to you a little bit about that as well today. All right, I want you to look in your uh, Bible to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Now this is probably one of the most famous passages, famous verses, known to humanity, many of us quote this passage of Scripture, but there's some powerful truth in it. And I want us to dissect this small verse. But it says, If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? Small, small verse but packed full of truth. One of the things this is talking about here is that God will forget our sins. Uh, Claire Barton, she was the founder of the American Red Cross. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. Uh, One day she was reminded of one of the vicious deeds that someone had done to her years before. Have you ever had something like that happen? Somebody did something to you years before? and you're not and it was vicious and and it constantly comes to your mind and you can't forget it because it's just constantly there every time you see that person you're reminded of what they did well this was happening to her she was reminded of that vicious deed that had been done to her but she acted as if she had never heard of the incident and so one day a person, a friend, walks up to her and says, Hey, don't you remember what so-and-so did to you? And Clara Barton responded says, No, I distinctly remember forgetting it. And that's tough to do, isn't it? It's a choice that you make every single time it pops into your mind that you're not going to allow that situation to control you. You're going to distinctly choose to forget it. And when we think about Jesus and we think about forgiveness, the Bible is full of examples of Jesus forgiving people in extraordinary ways. For example, while Jesus was on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Who is He talking about? The very ones who are crucifying Him. Now isn't that tough to do? forgiving someone in the midst of their action. For me, it's always easier for me to forgive someone after the action's been done, but to be able to forgive someone while they're performing the action, that is unordinary. That's powerful. So imagine for a moment that someone robs you at gunpoint, and in the midst of that, you are saying, Father, forgive this person but they don't know what they're doing. I mean, that is powerful in the midst of the action. But what is also unordinary slash amazing about the forgiveness of God is that God can forgive and He can forget. And there's multiple passages of Scripture where it tells us about this. So those of you that are taking notes, I'm going to give you three Bible verses that are worth you know, just jotting down and going back and looking at later, just to remind you, because here's what Satan likes to do. Satan, whenever whenever you're going through a difficult time, Satan likes to accuse you, doesn't he? And he likes to say, hey, do you remember when you did this? And you remember when you did that? And you could say, yes, I remember, but my God has forgiven me and forgotten it. And you can hold on to these scriptures that talk about this, okay? So the first one is Isaiah, chapter 38, verse 17. And it says, For you have cast all my cares behind you. In other words, all your cares are behind God. He's not, he's not looking at them anymore. Isaiah 43, verse 25. It says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. He blots them out. And I love, I mean, that's worth studying for his own sake. That tells you how bad our sin is, that it bothers God, that he blots it out, so it doesn't bother him anymore. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, which is one of the most powerful. It says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. No more will God remember them. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's what gospel means, is is good news. Now, we have a little problem, though. We have to confess that we have sin in our life in order to get that forgiveness, right? We have to confess that. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. There was a Sunday school teacher working with small children and the Sunday school teacher asked these kids, she said, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sins? And one little boy raised his hand. And he said, I can tell you what you have to do in order to get forgiveness of sins. And the teacher said, well, well what's your answer? He said, you have to sin. <laughs> now that's true, but that's not quite the answer she was looking for, right? Um, the truth is, Scripture teaches us that we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, okay? But what 1 John 1, verse 9 says is that we have to confess that sin, okay? We have to say, hey, Lord, I am a sinner. I have messed up, okay? I have been affected by sin. And we have to confess that and say, Lord, forgive me. And so the Bible teaches us that We must confess, and what this means is that we must acknowledge that we have sinned and we can't make excuses. Listen, we're good at making excuses with our sin, aren't we? So whenever we do something wrong, what's the first thing we like to do? Blame someone else for the reason that we did what we did, correct? We want to make an excuse. We want to say, hey, you know what? Yes, I was wrong, but here's why I did what I did. Okay? And that's making an excuse. That's not asking God for forgiveness. That's saying, hey God, you know I did wrong, but, but God, you know why I did wrong. Please excuse that. Okay? C.S. Lewis, many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, right? He wrote a, a, a pretty good paragraph, I want to read it to you, where he makes this distinction between asking for forgiveness and asking for God to excuse us. So this is what he says. He writes, I find that when I think I am asking God to forgive me, I am often in reality asking Him to do something quite different. I am asking Him not to forgive me, but to excuse me. But there is all the difference in the world between forgiving and excusing. Forgiveness says, Yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. I will never hold it against you and everything between us two will be exactly as it was before. But excusing says, I see that you couldn't help it or didn't mean it. You weren't really to blame. If one was not really to blame, then there's nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. When I read that, that cuts deep because I'm so tempted to say, God, I handled myself in a sinful way in this situation, but here's why I did it. And I want to blame it on the other person. And when we break that down, what we're basically saying is, whether we realize it or not, Lord, I really don't need your forgiveness. I just need you to excuse me for an action that I did. We are called to confess our sins, not to make excuses for our sins. We have to confess it. Several passages of Scripture I'm going to share with you. Uh, First one, Psalm 32, verse 5. It says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin." Proverbs 28, verse 13. No one who conceals transgressions will prosper. There you go. I mean, I could just, I'm going to stop there for a moment. You want to know what it takes to succeed in life? And that's what everybody wants to know. You want to know what it takes to succeed and to prosper? Listen to this No one who conceals their transgressions will prosper. But one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And then Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 13. Only acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among strangers under every green tree, and have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. There again he said, just acknowledge it. I I wonder if God ever looks at us in modern times and says, hey folks, just acknowledge that you're a sinful people. Just acknowledge it and say, I am sinful and I need a Savior. Because that's basically what he was saying in Jeremiah. So at the end of 1 John 1, verse 9, we're told that God does something pretty extraordinary. says that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So once we get to the point of saying, hey, listen, I am a sinner. If we confess that to God, then God takes the next step and it says that He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is such a powerful promise because it's basically saying that God is going to wash us and make us clean. And when we stand before God Almighty, the Father, He is not going to see our sins, he's gonna be he's gonna see the blood of Christ that cleansed us from our sins. Okay, there's a powerful story about um, a doctor, Ignaz Philip, in 1818. He was um, born into a world of dying women. The finest hospitals lost one out of six mothers to something that was known as childbed fever, okay? A doctor's daily routine consisted of this. Early in the morning, the doctor would get up, and he began in the dissecting room where he performed autopsies on the women who had just died that, that previous day. So he would do the autopsy, and from there, he made his way to the hospital to examine expectant mothers. Okay? And without ever pausing to wash his hands. Now, does that gross y'all out now? Isn't that horrible? Okay? The doctor, okay, Dr. Ignaz Philip, was the first man in history, this was in 1818, first man in history to associate such examinations with the result of infection and death so his own practice was to wash with a chlorine solution after after 11 years in the delivery of 8537 babies he lost only 184 so that's about 1 in 50 now to give you the odds again they were one out of 6 were dying But now you have one out of 50. Only because he would do one simple thing, which was to wash his hands. Now here's what's interesting. He went around proclaiming his findings. And so he goes and he stands in front of all of these um, academians and, and medical doctors. And he says, listen, I found the problem to the childbed fever. What doctors have to do is simply wash their hands. Okay? And what do you think everybody did at that time? They laughed at him and said, that's ridiculous. Uh, and and one, one person even came up and said, Hey, we have been delivering children and women and operating without without washing our hands for 18, 18 years. Remember, the year was 1818. Okay? So we've been doing this for years. And you're suddenly telling us this is the problem. Okay? So he goes around, and he's standing up in front of one of these, giving his lecture, and he says, for God's sake, people, just wash your hands. (laughs) He ended up dying at the age of 47. Okay, And people continued to laugh at his face when he would tell them that all they had to do was wash their hands. And people continued just to rebel against it. Christ tells us that it's not just our hands that need to be washed, it's our hearts and our souls. King David says, Give us clean hands. (laughs) But Christ says he wants to cleanse us entirely. Entirely. I mean, you could almost hear Christ saying, Please, for God's sake, let me wash you. You can hear Christ saying that. For God's sake, please, let me wash you. While people sit back and they laugh at Christ, telling them that He knows what will cleanse them from their sin and the infection of sin. And He knows what will cleanse them from death. Do you hear me, church? He knows what will cleanse them. And people continually laugh at Christ, and they laugh and they laugh, as if that's not going to fix the problem. And church, hear me. Scripture teaches that the cleansing of Christ Fixes the problem of sin that we all have. It fixes it, church. And it's for that reason, when I stand before you as your pastor, I can tell you that when we pass from this world, we do not cease to exist, we go to step into eternity. And for those who have been washed in the blood of Christ, you step into a glorious eternity with Christ forever. Let's pray together. Father, no doubt, we need your cleansing touch. Lord, as we close this service, I pray, Lord, that if you're speaking to someone here this morning that sees a need for the cleansing of Christ in their life, that they will respond to your call. Lord, I pray that they'll reach out to you, ask for your forgiveness, seek your salvation. And Lord, I pray that they'll experience the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. For we are sinners, Lord, we confess that. Forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I just need to go and pray to God and say, God, I realize I'm not perfect. (laughs) I confess that I am a sinner. I want to invite you to come and pray. I'll be happy to pray with you up here at the altar. Um, But I want to give you that opportunity to experience the cleansing blood of Christ in your life. So as we sing this song, if everyone would just please stand. And if you want to make your way forward, I'll be here to pray with you and I'll be happy to lead you in that prayer.